Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Mercedes. In this podcast, we will be sharing with you some of the most exciting stories from within the automotive industry. We will, of course, be talking about the Mercedes-Benz brand and its cars, but we also look forward to meeting external experts for a very personal deep dive into the world of mobility. My name is Yasmin Blair, and this is Let's Talk Mercedes. Thanks for tuning in. At first, I imagined this episode would be an exciting deep dive into the latest iteration of Mercedes' legendary SL class. But let me tell you, during our conversation, I was taught better. I mean, no doubt at all, together with my two guests, the former Formula One and DTM racing ace, Susie Wolf and Mercedes-Benz's head of exterior design, Robert Lesnick, We talked a lot about the new AMG SL, for example, how its historical predecessors like the famous Gullwing or the Pagoda strongly inspired its heirs' design, how the SL evolved from this pure racing car to an almost performance roadster that's suitable for the everyday use, and fittingly, how Susie would describe the SL to her small son. However, As our talk progressed, I realized the rebirth of this type of automotive icon is about more than simply developing a car, because frankly, making an automotive icon, as the SL is, touches so many more areas of interest than I could have imagined. Together with Susie and Robert, we discussed whether a car series with such a strong DNA in performance and racing can really find its place in today's world of ongoing transformation. If electric engines are the death or the rejuvenator of motorsports, and why it's pretty dumb to think of cars as specifically made for men or women. All I can say is, have fun with these two exciting people and their very personal perspectives on one of the most famous performance cars and all that's connected. I know I had fun. Enjoy, everyone. Now, let me bring out our two guests and give them a short formal introduction. First of all, welcome Robert Lesnick, Director of Exterior Design at Mercedes-Benz. Hi there, Robert. Hi. And of course, welcome Susie Wolf, former professional racing driver and team principal of the Formula E team Venturi Racing. Hi there, Susie. Hi, it's great to be with you both today. Thank you so much for joining in. Now, you two, I gave you a very short, very formal introduction, but here's the thing. From where I stand, neither one of you really needs an introduction. And since Here at Let's Talk Mercedes, we never tire of surprising our guests and flipping things around. Instead of allowing you to reintroduce yourselves, why don't each of you tell me what you consider most fascinating about the other person's work, if that's all right with you. So, Robert, if you would like to, you may begin and just tell us, like, spontaneously from the top of your head, what is the most exciting or interesting aspect about what Susie Wolf does, in your opinion? Thank goodness, Yasmin, that you asked Robert first. That gives me time to think about my answer. <laughs> Now listen closely, Susie, and think of your answer while you listen. <laughs> you know, I'm a car designer, and I have to admit, I'm not really a good car driver. Uh, so That is interesting. 
I was never good, let's say, on a Sunday on a racetrack. It's something that always that I always admired. I was, let's say, afraid to go uh, fast. This is something that I really admire. And uh, tell me, how do you go Nürburgring uh, at full speed? It's just something that I cannot really imagine how it feels because I would never dare to do it. I mean, or not even be a co-driver. Well, first of all, Robert, a man admitting that he's not a very good driver. <laughs> That's something I do not hear very often. You're very honest. And I, I really applaud that 100%. Well, I think, first of all, to your point, I started racing when I was only eight. So I grew up with speed and speed becomes something very normal when you experience it every day. And quite often when I was driving the Formula One car, I would hear the speeds that I was going and would think, wow, that sounds so fast. But actually, when you're in the car, it doesn't feel fast, which is, I know, a strange thing to say, but you're so often in the car that everything tends to to slow down and not feel um, very fast. But to answer um, what I find most fascinating, you know, I'm in a sport where you win or you lose and the timesheets and the result sheets tell you if you're doing a good job or not. In your line of work, you need creativity, you need imagination and you need to get inspiration from the things you see in the world. And that's something I have so much respect for because I have zero creativity. I'm someone who simply knows what my goal is, knows what I want to achieve and is only focused on that. And I think what you and your team have managed to achieve in terms of making beautiful looking cars, that's something for me that's very inspirational. Thank you. And I have to admit, you started to race at eight. I started to sketch at eight. So, okay, certain similarities. Yep. To sketch, draw cars, of course, sketch cars. That's very interesting. I have a little four-year-old son. So that's going to mean that in a few years, I'm going to have to look at what he's really interested in because possibly that will be his career path. Ah, you never know. You never know. I'd much rather he picks up a pen and sketches than gets in a racing car. I can definitely say that. <laughs> I would rather stick to my pen, of course. <laughs> Susie, do you understand when, you're, when your family, your loved ones are worried about you? Have they ever asked you to choose another profession back in the day when you were uh, race driving due to them just being extremely worried and caring for you if you say you wouldn't even want your own son to become uh, a race car driver? Interestingly, no, but then my background story, you can understand why, because my mother actually met my father when she went to buy her first motorbike from his motorbike shop. And uh -huh. some 40 years later, they still run that motorbike shop together and both used to race. Um, both my grandfathers were also uh, in in the industry. One was a very famous motocross rider in the 1950s and the other was an engineer for Royals Royce. So I think it's very much in my blood and both fully respected my my decision. And and I was one of these little girls that I loved the speed, I loved the competition, I loved the adrenaline. And so there was really no stopping me. And my parents did a fantastic job of never actually making me realize I was doing something unusual for for a girl. And I was very lucky in my sport that we wear a helmet. You don't see the driver out on track. All that matters is the result. And from that perspective, I always just focused on performing because performance is power. I wasn't aware that you two both actually got into 
in a broad term into the businesses or the careers that you're in, that it actually began at the age of eight. But I did know, Susie, like you were just saying, I did know that both of your parents were in car-related businesses. So maybe that was already a done deal right from the cradle. Robert, what about your parents and why at such a young age? I'm coming from Slovenia originally. Yeah? So at that time, that country was called Yugoslavia. And there were not that many foreign cars, uh, not that many Mercedes yeah, that you would see uh, every day driving around. And uh, when I mentioned to my parents, uh, I would like to do something with design, uh, they didn't have a clue what this could be. And of course, they said, uh, you should find uh, yourself a proper job, not to be a designer, because that was something so exotic at that time. It still partially is. People actually don't know what I'm doing all day. Yeah? Uh, probably they think uh, you sit here uh, in front of your computer and sketch cars. This is not what we are doing. This is not how design, how you do design of the car. So that was the beginning. And I really tried to study in my country. I tried to study industrial design, but I, I just couldn't get in. I, I tried to pass the test for three times in a row. For the fourth time, I said, okay, I have to leave. I have to go to Germany. And Then I was lucky enough to pass the test in Forzheim, which is close to Stuttgart, South Germany. And this is definitely one of the best schools where you can study car transportation design and become a car designer. So after you studied there, what brought you to the automotive segment? That's actually, you were just saying that's actually where you wanted to go. Yeah. So I mean, studying arts and design was like kind of a detour. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, you have to start. I'm not sure how it is now, but at that time, a few years ago, you had to start with general industrial design. And after, I think, four terms, four semesters, then you were able to carry on with car design. And yeah, then I graduated actually as a transportation designer. And that's how everything started. And I must admit, the first company was not Mercedes, but I would say it's the last. <laughs> so you're there to stay. Definitely. Is motor racing also a form of art, Susie? Would you go so far as to say that? I definitely think it is. It's a combination of man and machine, woman and machine. And it's making the balance right, no matter how great the car is. If the driver doesn't feel confident in the car, it's it's not going to function. And the other way around, if the driver feels great in the car, but the car isn't functioning. So I think it's 100% an art form. Um, but obviously it has a very heavy process and engineering background. I mean, you need to get everything right in order to achieve success. And it just takes one small area uh, to be out of place or, or not be 100% and the performance of the whole, the whole team can suffer. Obviously. Now, you both did so well on just from the top of your minds telling me what fascinates you about the other person's job. Why don't we do the same thing and focus on our main star, on our VIP of today's episode on the SL itself? What connects you or what is the first thing that comes to mind? Let me know. Well, I think when I was first asked about this podcast and, and was told it's around the SL, it really connects to me because my favorite car of all time is a 300 SL, the Gullwing. I adore that car. And the first car I actually bought was a Pagoda for my husband, a classic. You can tell here that I'm really into my classic cars. And when I was reading a short history of the SL, I understood that Robert and his team 
got so much inspiration from the past because this car has a huge history. And for me, understanding that that history and the fact that Robert and his team have taken inspiration from it means that even this new ASL, which is obviously the most modern, up-to-date car, it has taken a lot of inspiration from the past. And that's something which I find very, very inspiring when I look at the new ASL. When I think about SL, then I have three-quarter rear of that particular one, the 300 SL Gullwing in mind, with open doors, with open Gullwings. Three-quarter rear. People ask me, why not three-quarter front? Because most of the people think the front is more important. I think that the rear is actually the most important perspective or area of the car, just simply because you see it most of the time on the street. And I think that particular rear volume, how was done in the beginning of the 50s on that SL300, Galwing was just amazing, very low, very round. Yeah, that was also partially an inspiration for our new SL. I have quite a funny story because when I was still racing for Mercedes-Benz in the German Touring Car Championship, they asked me if I would do an event called the Millimilia. And I had to first look up what it is, and it's okay, the, the race of a thousand kilometers in Italy. And then they told me, you're going to be doing it with Sterling Moss in a 300SL Gullwing. And I thought, wow, it just doesn't get any better. So that was my first experience of the car. And I remember when the Mercedes-Benz Classic team, they unloaded the car and put it kind of near the road. And they said, I mean, it looked beautiful. They said, oh, get in and, and have a little try. And so, of course, I got in and, you know, hit the throttle, the whole rear end slid. And I could see them all thinking, oh my goodness, what's this lady doing with our beautiful car? But it was just a joy to drive. And obviously to have the experience of sitting next to Sir Sterling, who won the race in that car and hearing his stories and the challenges he faced in, in the 1950s. Wow, was a, was a great experience for me. Robert, if the rear is the most important part of the car, do you approach design from the back? Is that how it works? You start in the, in the side view, probably, because it's about the proportion and, and definitely the SL. Why is a design legend? Because it's virtually unchanged in terms of proportion. Of course, every generation has completely different character through time. Of course, the Pagoda looked completely different, very thin, almost fragile, in compared to, uh, I don't know, the, the new, the current cars. But that proportion that you can really capture the best with one side view sketch, that's something that you would probably start with. And the three-quarter rear is probably the most, I would say, sensual one. Yeah, The, one, the, uh, the area where you can, as a designer, have enough we call it real estate to build on because you just have this so-called rear shoulder and the sportier the car is, the more uh, real estate you have. That means a wide track and narrow greenhouse, especially for a two-seater. And then you really have a lot of sheet metal that you can model or, of course, in the beginning, clay. You start with a clay model, but at the end, that shoulder is probably the most sensual area of the whole car. And that's what I really prefer. How much time do you spend on the shoulder before you move on to finish the rest of the creation? Forever. It takes forever because uh, <laughs> it's, it's done. You can do it over the weekend, no problem, but uh, nobody can build it. That's the problem. And that's also, um, uh, you mentioned before art. That's I would say at the end is, of course, we want to build car. Yeah, We want to see that car driving on Mille Miglia or I don't know, in that, those tight Italian roads as well. 
and also on the racetrack and so on. That means it has to be produced. It has to be feasible. Somebody, uh, some other clever engineers uh, would have to be able to build it, to stamp it or press it uh, out of uh, aluminum. What we do in the beginning is definitely not feasible, but at the end is our job, also my job, to take care that also a customer a few years from now will be able to buy and enjoy. Well, your predecessors did a great job, Robert, because I love my Pagoda. I should say my husband's Pagoda, but I drive it the most. <laughs> I bounce along. and You bought it for yourself, admit it, Susie. Kind of. You know, it was one of those presents that this is for you, <laughs> but it's actually for me. And living in Monaco, you can imagine all the, the crazy cars you see, see here in the streets. But everyone loves it when I rock up in my Pagoda mm. because it's, it's such a classic. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I like it too. But I must say, when we speaking about the beginning of the design process, when you start with that, that particular sketch inside of you and so on, and many, many different ideas, and at some point with the clay model, then we actually borrowed another SL that was actually the first one we borrowed from our Mercedes Museum in Stuttgart, and we put it into the design studio just uh, next to clay model. And yeah, we tried to capture that fullness, that roundness, that uh, voluptuous volumes of the body side. And uh, if people don't know which car this is, then they should Google it. It's called W194 from year 1952. It's just amazing, a very pure car. As soon as it was not Pagode, it was uh, the other SL, but still, I like, I like Pagode too, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Robert, you already mentioned something that in my mind, when I think of SL, then it's in terms of design, it's timeless. So that's like a constant when it comes to the SL. But if we look at your latest creation, then this is the very first of its kind to go AMG. So that's exciting. And there must be something very specific, something that's different about this design in comparison to its predecessors, isn't there? Of course. But first, I think we have to start what is similar. Mm -hmm. And this is definitely that uh, so typical roadster proportion that you see uh, experience in the body side. Is that uh, just long bonnet? Obviously, in this case, we still have eight cylinder combustion engine in there. Yeah, It's still defined, but it's that eight cylinder engine in the front. So you have that long, low bonnet, uh, short overhangs. You have this cabin it is pushed very far back. We call it uh, cab backward design. Yeah, That's very tight cabin. And that's, as I mentioned before, round, extremely low rear end. That is something that I think was there in every generation, but it was executed a little bit in a different way. Mm -hmm. The proportion was always the same because it was defined by the position of the cabin and the engine. But definitely the car that we just recently introduced, the new SL, fits, I would say, in this century, fits in this time, and is uh, with its fabric roof compared to its predecessor. We have it now again and really enabled us, us to do that, uh, we call it sensual purity. This is how we design at Mercedes, every Mercedes, not just an SL. I think it really perfectly fits in our current portfolio. Susie, if you can, try to set your mind back on the very first time you saw, let's say, the very first image, like the first sneak peek, for example, what was your very first impression, speaking with the heart of a true race car driver and obviously a girl who is truly in love uh, with the oldies, I'm going to say? 
when I when I saw the first images, I mean, I think when when Robert mentions the portfolio, there's so many great cars in in the complete range right now. I do think the cars just now just look fantastic. And I'm someone that is very into aesthetic. You know, I like my home to be well designed. I like to dress well. I I like well designed things. I don't always know how to design them, but I can definitely appreciate something that's very well designed. And I'm also someone that's very influenced from the Japanese culture. I love minimalism. I love everything to have a functionality. I don't like there to be too much um, to the, for there to be overcrowded, for it to be, um, let's say, in any way vulgar. For me, it's understated, it's elegant, it's sporty. And when I talk about what I like, you, you could even use all of those words for the new SL. Um, it has, for me, great lines. It, the aesthetic is pleasing to the eye. So, of course, when you look at a car, your first instinct is always going to be on its shape. And that's something which which I like a lot in the car. I think in this day and age, you also don't want to focus just on performance. You need a car that can do your everyday life and still be versatile. And that, for me, this car ticks all those boxes. Are you taking notes here, Robert? Inspiration from a true female motorsport No, I just checked Driver. if everything is correct. So that's what uh, we had in mind when we designed this car. <laughs> you did a good job, Robert. You and your team did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> Susie said something very important and very interesting because we've been speaking so much about the performance and, of course, the sports car uh, aspect. But, of course, it's not just the performance. Um What is it in your point of view, if it's not the performance that it's about when it comes to the SL, Robert? Susie also said it's an everyday car. What is it from your point of view? What kind of car is it? Of course, first of all, it's a beautiful car. Because I say at Mercedes, no matter what we do, it has to be a beauty at the end. That's something that you probably, when you, when you open up your laptop or you see, oh, that's the new one, you like it or not. And then later on, you will probably have or maybe uh, a chance to drive it. But uh, definitely, I think the car, it's very modern. It's very pure. It goes for every Mercedes, not uh, SL only. And that becomes alive when you see the contrast. You see that full round surfacing. I mentioned before the rear shoulder, but you see this very precise, sharp rear light graphics. It's high tech, of course, and it's also the aesthetics. And that is what makes it, at the end, so so Mercedes, it is not just a beauty, it's also extraordinary. It's every car that we design needs something different. We call it X factor. And just uh, later on, uh, when you will have a chance to look inside of the real light, just take 10 seconds and look at it. You will see how it's designed. We even call it digital skyline. We came up with something very special inside. But it's very secondary detail. It's something that you would not notice on a on a first press picture. You have to see it later on. And maybe in Monaco, you will see very soon one, Susie. And then maybe you remember and <laughs> have a look. And then I'll be the strange lady that's looking at a rear brake light. That looks into the rear light <laughs> that nobody does. <laughs> exactly. But that makes this car, I think, so special. It's definitely, you know, we, we say AMG uh, stands for performance luxury, but you would never drive uh, SL every day on a racetrack. It's, of course, performance, but it was goal for us to design a sport car that you can drive on a daily basis. Something that's a car that you would even drive to work with. 
That's the reason why the car got now a two plus two seater. Yeah. So it's much more functional. In the back would not really fit uh, an adult, but probably would fit, uh, I would say, a child, a dog or a bag. So Susie, your son is all on board, I'm sure, as a fan already of the race cars. How would you how would you explain that to him? Let's say someone who doesn't know exactly what the AMG line is, uh, someone who doesn't know what an SL is. You just mentioned yourself, Robert, that AMG stands for performance. Uh, let's say the SL stands for the perfect sports car. How would you explain that combination of the two uh, to someone who knows nothing about those two? Susie, how would you explain that to your son? You're really putting me on the spot here. <laughs> so I would explain to my four-year-old in simple terms, it's a really cool sports car. He needs to hear the word cool. That really gets his interest. Naturally. And then I would say, but you can you can come in the car with mommy and I can take you to school in the car. <laughs> Because then he <laughs> understands that it's a car that he's still allowed to go in and and one that can be comfortable for him. Um Because I think that versatility in, in this day and age is, is really important. And of course, living in the south of France, we get pretty good weather. I don't want to make people jealous when they're sitting in the cold right now, but we would... Oh, we have good weather late, here in Spain as well. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> See, I would get much more use out of that cabrio function than I think many other people would. So... We would, we would definitely suit such a car here. I would drive it in Sindelfingen too, no problem. <laughs> I, I would even drive it in Berlin. I mean, it's dark 20 hours a day, cold yeah. nine months a year, but hey, I'd enjoy it. As I it said, would... we have digital lights, so no problem. <laughs> exactly. Who needs the sunshine? So you guys, why don't we sort of have a look or start having a look and turning towards the future? We all know that mobility is evolving We are experiencing this fundamental change, transformation, uh, you might even say revolution of mobility. So how do all of these new factors influence the way both of you work? For example, uh, Robert, what has become important, important or even inevitable, let's say, in terms of design? And of course, Susie, as part of the Formula E, How have you been experiencing this transformation? How has it changed the way both of you work is uh, the basic question. Okay. I mean, um, first of all, definitely the future is going to be electric, uh, speaking about cars. We just recently introduced electric vehicle architecture with a new EQS that, by the way, gave us a chance that architecture to just simply make an, the most aerodynamic car in the world. SL is not fully electric car which you can, as I said before, obviously see uh, in its proportion that's more or less remained uh, unchanged for decades. As a car designer, I see electric era coming up more as a chance. And we proved with the EQS that uh, there are many, many new things that we can do, try out and come up with completely different solutions. You mentioned the new EQS and it's, it's hugely impressive. Um, so I think... That's something that we can definitely look forward to more of in the future. From my perspective, Formula E, it's the first all-electric championship and it started eight years ago. When I was asked to drive in Formula E, I was racing uh, as a test driver in Formula One at the time. And I remember thinking, an electric car championship, that's never going to function. How wrong was I? <laughs> it also, at that time, didn't interest me. 
as as a as a driver i loved speed and and part of what i loved about cars and racing was the sound and the smell and the experience when i was approached to become team principal of venturi i was very skeptical uh, at first i i was really uninterested and then my business partner at the time said look just come to new york and look at the race and i thought to myself well a weekend in new york who's going to say no i'll go and have a look and i stood in the center of new york and had had on one side a view of the statue of liberty and on the other side a view of the race track and that's when i realized this is a different type of racing we're taking racing to the people and we're showcasing the newest technology which is not yet mainstream and that's when i absolutely decided to to get involved in in what is a platform which is really brought a different type of racing uh, to people and i think there's always lots of comparisons formula e formula 1 but they're two very different concepts and i think they live alongside each other very well because as much as the future is electric there are i don't know how many million um cars on the road which are not electric so the question is what do we do with those cars because they have a life and that's where formula 1 is advancing with biofuels um on the technology of making current engines more hybrid and more efficient in the future and of course formula e is the future when Mercedes is all electric and that's what we are showcasing now the technology and of course there's restraints within that technology battery life distance um but formula e is is trying to tackle those challenges and is very much trying to showcase what the future of electric mobility can look like Susie as someone who yourself now as you just stated was extremely uninterested when uh first being offered to join formula e what do you say to any uh, petrol head out there who is let's say skeptical to say the least um about formula e about the future being electric about electric driving what do you have to say to them i've come to realize that just because something is electric it doesn't mean that the emotion is gone it's simply it's simply a fresh take on a new technology and certainly in the EQS they they even have engineered some sounds which means you're not in a in a car without any sound which is sometimes quite disconcerting when you jump in an electric car for the first time so i think they've really brought the emotion back in to the the EQS and that was for me really really nice to see because that's what i was so wary of initially um that that you would lose the emotion and the enjoyment of driving it would all become about practic- practicability and about efficiency um but i can promise you that it's that it's still there in in the electric models and obviously as the technology will develop uh, in the years to come i think we'll speak less and less about how far a car can go on the battery and uh, how efficient it is i think it will uh, simply become the norm because if you're in a city center um there is no reason why uh, an electric car isn't the most desirable to use well i for one am very eager to see which versions of the sl the future beholds as are our listeners i'm sure so let's stay curious now anyone who tuned in from the start already heard us spend a fair amount of time talking about design but Susie, do you actually feel that the changing times that more gender equality entail a different approach towards designing 
an automobile? Do you think designers need to approach their work differently to make cars more appealing to women? I find it so strange to talk about designing a car for a man or a woman. I mean, we're all individuals. There's no two women that are the same. There's no two men that are the same. And I think what people desire from a car, whether you're a man or a woman, is very similar. You want something that is looking good, that's performing, which is versatile. And of course, each individual will have different needs um, for, for each car. But this idea of designing a car for a woman or a man, I find very strange because in the end, it's about designing the best possible car. And you know, when you when you talk about designing a car for women, you come up with all the cliches, you know, and, and there's so many jokes out there, which I've heard a thousand times over my career. You know, does it have assistant for reverse parking? Does it have a place for your lipstick? And can you get it in pink? Ha, I mean, ha, stop. Ha, ha, ha. ha. Yeah, no. Uh, do you get that a lot, Susie? People who are close to me who, or who know me well, they, they'll, they'll laugh a lot because anytime we pass by a car that either looks extremely fast, we're just speaking looks, like not, not even driving performance, anything that looks fast or very, very powerful, big cars as well, uh, is a car that I like. And they'll always say, people will always say, you're such a guy, you're such a guy with your taste of cars. And I don't even know what that means. Did you get that? I mean, you you know, you started at a very young age. Did you get that from the get-go? People saying, oh, you're such a guy, you're such a guy. Not even knowing what, you're, how do you react to that? I don't even know what that means. You know, Yasmin, in my whole career, I only ever did one interview where I wasn't asked about my gender. It became such a big part <laughs> of, of my career. And it was really unwanted. I simply followed my passion in life. And because it was unusual for a girl, it, it attracted a lot of attention and I think the funniest moments for me are, you know, when people see me in a gullwing or um, the reverse parking somewhere and they're like, oh, you, you did that well. And it's like, wow, because I'm a girl, I should do it badly or I should struggle with it. Um, but that's one of the reasons, you know, I, I decided to start my own initiative, which is now a global initiative with the FIA called Girls on Track, because I felt it was, first of all, important to give something back, but also to pass on all the experience that I'd learned throughout my my long career. And it's really about inspiring the next generation to understand that this social misconception of motorsport and cars being for boys, it's not. You know, a car is something which everybody uses on a daily basis. So this idea that it's only something for boys. So we really aim to inspire the next generation and, and show them that there are opportunities. And half the battle is also making the parents understand that this social bias and it's an unconscious bias it's definitely an unconscious bias but that's what we want to try and break down in the long term so that we've got more participation from girls globally in the hope that with a bigger participation we have the talent rising to the top because it is simply a numbers game. Besides wanting to see perhaps more female empowerment in certain sectors in the future, and besides knowing that electric cars are coming, we already spoke of that, what else would you like to see or would you enjoy seeing in the future of the SL? We haven't uh, started sketching uh, for the next generation, so we want to see how the new one just recently launched or introduced will perform out there. 
also in terms of uh, stance, exterior design and so on. The theme luxury, in this case performance luxury, is very broad. So there are quite many, I would say, maybe even surprising things in, that we have in the pipeline. Are you allowed to spoil one of those surprises for us today? No, of course not. Then I would uh, <laughs> well, need I to, to show ask. you a sketch, but unfortunately we're only here without video. So I cannot show it. So no spoilers today. Susie, what do you look forward to in the future? Well, let's say not only in the future of the SL, but in the future of uh, returning to motorsports, the future of racing as well. In terms of the SL, I look forward to it continuing to be a cult car. For my all-time favorite to be uh, such a classic in the in the 300 SL and for me to love driving the Pagoda means that the car has something special. It connects with people and it is something which uh, people aspire to and enjoy driving. So no pressure, Robert, on you and your team, but you've got to continue that very strong heritage <laughs> because in 60 years, people are going to be driving the next generation and saying, wow, what an amazing car. In terms of the the future of motorsport, I think Formula One as a global platform with such a huge global audience has to showcase the possibilities with um, sustainable fuels so that all the cars driving around in the world now can, can start to become more sustainable um, instantly. And obviously for the future and the purchases that will happen um, in the future when people buy new cars, obviously a lot of that will be electric. It's still a very small number, uh, but we see it growing year on year. There's a lot of development which would needs to be done in terms of charging and the accessibility of charging and, and um, the speed of charging but that's all coming and it's hugely exciting to see there being such big advancements um, year to year and that's something which I look forward to following with interest in the future. Thank you to both of you so much for your time for this really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for joining me Susie and Robert. Great having you two. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners. And we look forward to welcoming you on our next episode of Let's Talk Mercedes. Take care, everyone. <laughs>